Keep talking, bucko. Pretty soon I'm going to have you right where I want you. Citizen X Radio. Every time you violate or propose to violate the free speech of someone else, you in potentia, you're making a rod for your own bad. Citizen X Radio. And we're live. Hello and welcome to another episode of Citizen X Radio. I'm your host, Citizen X, and we're going to be discussing Brexit, since there are not quite enough people talking about it, plus the one story that was big enough to knock that off the headlines, that of the mass shooting in Christchurch, New Zealand. Joining me as before to get another perspective on these issues is my co-host, friend and moral compass, Jack. So how are you, Giza? I'm, I'm, I'm pretty well, mate. Yeah, no, I'm, uh, I'm very well. It's good to be back. It was uh, somewhat of a longer hiatus than we initially anticipated, but it's nice to, uh, nice to be back in the game. Nice to have a, a good old chat. But yeah, there's some, uh, there's some pertinent issues to, to, to have a little chat about. So yeah, I'm good. How are you? Uh, well, I'm all right. Um, although we are going to be discussing uh, Brexit, um, mm-hmm. I'm imagining you're as absolutely sick of it as I am. Uh, yeah, that's that's one way to put it. I mean, the, the small part of me, a very, very small part of me, is kind of glad it's been a bit of a fuck-up. And I know this is a very masochistic and small part of me, but it for a lot of people who the status quo wasn't bad, I can understand all the reasons for voting no, uh, for voting leave. I do understand all the reasons. I understand every intention of a lot of the leave voters. But for someone like myself who actually... The status quo was working out fairly well for them, um, and didn't didn't really want to see any dramatic overturns of or or any revolutions, and didn't see the need for it. The fact that it is becoming such a pain is a sort of a smug. I told you so. I think I think that is the small bit of satisfaction a lot of Remainers can actually get out of this. I mean, did you see Jon Snow uh, actually have a word, not from Game of Thrones, Jon Snow, the Channel 4 Jon Snow, in case there was any. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that would be an interesting one. But actually um, just tore apart a Tory front bencher on, like, live on telly um, regarding the issue. No, I didn't. And no. I, think, I, th- I think he was a Remainer. Uh, I, I'll just insert the clip here. Secretary of State, you know better than I do that Parliament is for once deeply representative of the country. It's completely asunder. Nobody in the country knows what's going on, nobody in there knows what's going on, and you know nothing about what's going on, even inside the Cabinet. The Cabinet is at sea, the country's at sea. We are a laughing stock. Is that a question? So, I mean, I've got to say that's a pretty good comeback from the, uh, from the Cabinet Minister, but the fact is, there is this air of I'm kind of glad the whole thing's a fuck up because I think it's a bad idea. I think that's a lot of Remainer's sort of idea. And it's, although... It's Schadenfreude, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, 100%, 100%. And it is, it, there is a bit of beauty in seeing something that people... If, if you think something is a bad idea to start with, to see it unfold as a tr- disastrous idea, as it, which is what it looks like to anyone else, then that really does sort of help you slightly now obviously the other part of me is terrified of the instability and whatnot so it's and obviously the the lack of democratic representation is is kind of scary from my part as well but yeah it's I'm, I'm i'm bored of it but i'm still kind of interested and i do think there is there is a chance 
that Brexit might not happen. Well, I, I mean, don't know whether. I'm... I mean, it is very. I mean, it is fascinating. I, I know what you mean. This. I mean, from my point of view now, I think that Brexit is not actually about Brexit anymore. To me, it's about something far more fundamental. You know, because I, I still consider. I still think of the European Union as nothing more than a trading block. Now, I, mm. I don't think of it as being an, um, an existential necessity for, for this country to be in. Um, and, and I know there's a lot of people that disagree with me, but most of that, I think, is just inertia. You know, we've been in yeah. it for 46 years now. And, mm-hmm. you know, as in most things and in human nature in general, people just don't like change. Um, and yeah. so the, and particularly for someone uh, such as yourself who's much younger than me, you, you don't know any different. I mean, I don't know much different because mm. I was only I was only six when we went in. Um, mm. But um, I just think that what I thought about the referendum was that because it it overturned the status quo, I began to think of it as. A, an opportunity to really change something um, because it's the only time in my lifetime that there's there has been the possibility of any real change. Now, this may not be the change isn't always good, you know, and I'm not suggesting that Brexit will be a walk in the park at all. Um, but what has been fascinating is the sort of flailing around of our political system and our democracy and it has kind of exposed that it is actually nothing of the kind. It's not even a mm. democracy. Um, it's not even a parliamentary, uh, a, a representative democracy because, you know, we've got 500 MPs in Parliament who are for Remain and the population who are pretty split. But, you yeah. know, as per the, as per the referendum, um, they are you know, out of sync with the country by an, an enormous margin. I suppose the the thing with a representative democracy is you do expect the MPs to act on your interests. And I think, I do feel sorry for a lot of MPs, and I know this is going to fly in the face of a lot of your core audience. Yes, I bet it will, yeah. But and, 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 it's their job to be put into uncomfortable and compromising situations. So I'm not saying that it's, it's a walk in, it should ever be a walk in the park for them. I think they should always be put to task but it has always got to be uncomfortable to be pressured to do something that you think is a terrible idea but you have to do it because your job's at stake yeah but a lot th- of people think- have to do have to deal with that with that dilemma in their everyday mm. lives i mean I, I i can't say that i really uh i'm really with you in feeling at all sorry for the mp's because i you know i watched Sad as I am, I watched about an hour of parliamentary debate debate the other day, and it was it was after the three votes a week or week before last or whatever, mm-hmm. and MP after MP got up and in fact it was after the Prime Minister did her speech where she blamed Parliament and mm. the the bruised egos and the the the, the sort of you know, the, the horror that they've been disrespected by the Prime Minister, which I thought was, I just thought it was beyond the pale. I mean, they were going on and talking about how the House had not been disres- had not been respected and John Burko remarked how 
um, that the Prime Minister had been discourteous to the House. And mm. I, I just, my irony meter sort of went off the scale because, yeah. um, and I, I know what you mean about representative democracy in normal times. We pay the MPs to take difficult decisions and to govern our, on our behalf. Mm-hmm. But this isn't normal times. This was a referendum mm-hmm. and they asked us. And mm-hmm. when we told them, they don't want to do what we told them. And that's yeah. what I find. So that's why I think it's more, it's not about Brexit now. It's about democracy. Because yeah. the, the parliamentary democracy, a, a representative democracy doesn't reflect exactly the, the population. That's part of the checks and balances of it. But, mm-hmm. um, but when the the representatives of democracy can't do its business, i.e. can't decide on what to do with about Europe. They asked the population and the population told them and now they don't want to do it, you know. And so mm-hmm. I don't, I can't say that I have any, uh, I certainly don't have any sympathy for the Prime Minister, but I have... Well, I have zero sympathy for the Prime Minister, but I think my sympathy for the MPs came from, if you... I mean, I, I, maybe I'm being looking at the ro- world with overly rose-tinted glasses, but in my mind, someone gets into politics because they want to make the world better. And I think uh, whatever party you go for, you're doing it to try and make the world better. So a Agreed. lot of people on the left, a lot of people on the left would say, "Oh, Tory Tory MPs are only doing it to enrich themselves and their colleagues." And though there are obviously there's a well-trodden path from. Uh, the cabinet to a nice cushy consultancy job mm. with you know seven figures uh, leading yeah, from the cabinet to the private sector that is that is a case but the majority of people I do think are getting in because they have political views that they think should be enacted to try and make the world a better place now if you go in and especially if you go in, in left of the spectrum if you're a modern semi center left politician chances are you probably think that the EU is a is, is a good thing all in all um despite some of its negative things. So to the, my, where I feel sorry for them is that they've gotten in to try and make a difference and they're having to go against their own principles and initiative, which obviously I know there is the point of democracy, but I, do, like, I don't think they ever anticipated this. I think, which is good. You, you need to put these people on their toes and to the test. But I, I can imagine if you went in to a job it's like you, you feel like you have a different job description. So you're, you're, you are always to defer to the populace. That is your job as an MP. You always have to sort of go back and fall back on that. But there, is, there was a degree of autonomy before this referendum. And, I, and, and secondly, just to, to, to bring it back, when the MPs, when you said earlier the MPs asked for the referendum, I wouldn't say that's entirely accurate. I think No, did, maybe did, not. Cameron Cameron called for it because I think he wanted to quash a dissent in his own party. And and I think it was at the time quite a small, small percentage, really. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I I agree with that. Yeah. So, 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 so my, my sympathy really goes, if you imagine you were elected to the house in 2010, you were a Lib Dem, uh, actually Lib Dem's probably a bad example because they all got wiped out by 2015 or 2016, sorry, and 15 and 16, they both had terrible showings, but, um, oh, 17, sorry, 2015 and 2017 Mm. were two other general elections. Say you were elected in 2015, say, uh, and you were a Labour, uh, or even, even a sort of, um, soft Tory, you know, a centre-right Tory, 
Uh, you had no intention of ever leaving the EU and you thought that the trading bloc, ever closer union and these things were positive things and actually globalisation was, on the whole, a good thing. To then, uh, and, and to, to, be, to be an MP, you have your degree of autonomy. You are elected on the premise that you will do what you, think's in your, you think is best for your constituents in, and in their best interest, but you will act on your own sort of intuition, obviously defer to your party and defer to the populace at the extreme ends of it. But generally speaking, you will do what you think is right to help your help your constituents and your country become a more prosperous, safer, happier place, etc., etc. Now, the sympathy comes for some of these newly elected ones in 2015 who were fairly centrist, who now have to, because of, well, Cameron trying to dissent, quell a dissent in his own party, they are now having to fundamentally go against what they think is in the best interest of both the constituents and the country as a whole, which is, which, and, and it's a valid reason, they have a valid reason to think these things. And they have to go against all of those principles because of this referendum. And I feel that's where I feel sorry for them because they have to do a job in their head. They have to do a job badly. And the only, the only parallel I can draw to it is when I, in my, in my job as a designer and a developer, when I make something that I know is, is good and then a client or heaven forbid my boss yeah. recommends changes that I know and I, I just fundamentally know they are a bad idea hmm. and I say, I, I'm, I, can you just, I have a bit of knowledge on this subject here. I know that this isn't going to work or if it does work, it's going to work badly and I honestly would recommend this other way and they still insist no. That's where my sympathy comes because on a daily basis, I'm being told to do things that I know are bad ideas by people who have less knowledge than me, but somehow have some some level of seniority. And I know, and I know this is not this is not to say that I do think Parliament is culpable, but this is I was just trying to illuminate where my empathy comes from for these MPs. I do not think that they should be let off the hook, and I don't think that the referendum should be disregarded because obviously democracy is an important thing. We need to uphold that, but I do feel that. There is some sympathy to be had for gen genuine the MPs who genuinely think it's a terrible idea, but are being forced into doing something that is completely antithetical to the reason they got into the job. The reason they got into the job is to make the world better, and then their country and their constituents' lives better by doing what they think's right. And now they're being told to do what they think is wrong, or else face the chopping block from mm. either their party or from the thing. So that that is where that is where my sympathies, if you can call them that, lie. And I think, it, as as I said, it. I have a job where I I have a certain level of technological expertise, mm. and people ask me for advice on that. And when I have a solid answer that I'm sort of you know pretty confident, and my expertise is 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 a lot more than theirs, and I give them that answer. And then they come back to me and say, well, I want you to do it the, um, the, the, the way that's less productive yeah. anyway, the or the way. less efficient yeah. way. Yeah, I wanted to say the bad way, but I don't want to really say leaving is the bad way. But to, to the leave, to the, to the, and as I said, like all, all thoughts aside, I think people's intentions are very important here. And so, so yeah, it is the bad way so to a lot of MPs. They're, they're saying, you've got to do this job the bad way uh, or else you're going to lose my business. And it's just, it, it is frustrating for me in that position. So I can only imagine what it'd be like. And, and at the end of the day, what's, oh, they have, the client has a slightly less snazzy website. Well, that's their fucking bad. I'm still getting paid at the end of the day. You know, I don't, I don't really care that much. Now, when it's the future of a country, 
I mean, that to me, that's where my sympathy lies. I do, you, you must, I think you can see that that would be a problem for centrist MPs who don't feel like they're doing what's best for the country, but are having to do it anyway. And I think that sort of is almost undemocratic in a way that, I know, and this is the problem. There's a bit of a, there's a bit of a, um, there's a bit of a paradox here that's emerging between, you know, the MP, the representative democracy is they, uh, a group of MPs act on the interests which they have an education in that, as in they have, they're paid a salary to spend their full wake working lives mm. learning about these things. Uh, and they and then act on these based upon what their moral compass and the, the evidence and the statistics that they find and the data they find and obviously the wishes of the party, wishes of the people, etc. And now for them to be saying, no, your your opinion doesn't matter here. What are what matters here is a, I don't want to say a dubious, but uh, it was a it was an it was a horrible campaign on both sides. Yeah, uh, full yeah, of was. a lot of full of a lot of misinformation and a lot of hatred on both sides, and it was very polarized. And it was a it was a slim margin. Yeah. So you can see from those MPs' perspective that, and, and most people who voted, whether they're Remainers or Leavers, didn't have a fucking clue. I, I know more than the average person on this because I'm one of those sad fuckers that reads The Guardian and The Telegraph mm. and, and a lot of other papers and I'm into current affairs. I still don't have a fucking clue, really. I've got my gut intuition and, and what I think is right, but I don't really know. Yeah, what but what, get, what we're slightly getting into here is, is, and of course we've touched upon this before actually, is this idea that the, uh, the, the MPs and those in the know will have more knowledge They'll have more insight yeah. because they're in it all the time, and yeah, I can't, I can't argue with that because if you are paid to do a job full time, um, if I was an MP full time, I'd know more about it than I do now, because mm-hmm. I because I wouldn't then have to go off and fit somebody's toilet while I'm trying to do this <laughs> at, at, at the same time. So yeah, so I can understand that, but but what's happened is. The the chink in that is that is what are it, what are everybody's intentions? Because what's happened here is that if you could assume that the actors involved are, uh, and by that I mean the MPs are acting in good faith, if you could be sure of that, if you could be as reasonably sure as you could be, then I'd agree with you because then I, I'd agree that the. Um, the MPs were um, acting good faith and they had everybody's best interests at heart. Plus, they knew more than the populace did generally because they're doing it full time. Then I would agree with you. But the trouble is, what I think has happened now is that the faith, that the trust has broken down so much that people don't trust those people in charge. They don't Mm -hmm. trust them. Even if they do know more than they do, even if the MPs know more than the populace does, which is probably obvious because, like I say, they do it all all the time. But it's their intentions. And when mm. we had the when we had the expenses scandal, that oh, yeah. that was the beginning of well, it wasn't the beginning. It was more it was more grist to the mill that this idea that MPs are all in it for themselves. Now I don't believe that necessarily. I don't believe that necessarily. Mm-hmm. And and being a backbench MP backbench MP is it's still an important job um, but there's an awful lot of drudgery in it if you're not 
the person who's on television all the time and you're having to deal with people's very mundane issues in your local surgery and all the rest of it. Mm. And I'm not one of these people who says that MPs are all, uh, you know, are all out for themselves. But they have become... The trust has been degraded. People have not believed that they are acting from the highest motives. So what they... And what I believe is that those highest motives have been diluted and people have succumbed to a sort of careerism. You know, mm. this the 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 status quo is working. We're all getting paid, paid nicely. We're all getting nice big fat expenses. Everyone's forgotten about the expenses scandal now. Mm. Um, and and you know, if you take it onto the European level, the amount of salary they get there is even more, and the expenses are even fatter. And there is mm-hmm. there is a thousand and one reasons why people will begin to forget their uh, the fire in their belly of when they first went into into Parliament. And one yeah. of the things is that they might also be doing is they might, might be going into Parliament thinking, well, there's actually nothing I can do. I might just as well be in this for myself because there's nothing yeah. I can do. And, and I think that's what's happened. And I think that – I think every so often there needs to be a bit of a purge because mm-hmm. because over time that kind of – Low-level corruption builds into something much more damaging, and you yeah. get you get to a situation where the MPs begin to believe, not through any sort of Machiavellian um, uh, impulses, but they begin to believe, without putting too fine a point on it, they begin to believe that they're better than the people that they govern. I can totally agree with that, yeah. and and I think that that I, I think that that kind of that the eroding of that kind of trust is how we've got to where we are. Because, uh, and I I certainly would agree that a big chunk of the Leave vote, a big chunk of it, was a big up yours to the establishment. You know, Mm. the establishment want to go this way. Well, fuck you, we want to go this way. Mm. And all of a sudden they came out and uh, against all expectations, they, they won. And... The, the reason I feel so impassioned about it is because not necessarily because it's necessarily because we want to come out of Europe, but it was it was a way of wresting that control back to where it mm-hmm. should be. And, yep. and where it should be is with the people, ultimately. I mean, mm-hmm. and I think it's quite reasonable. I think a, a representative democracy is reasonable so long as it is refreshed from time to time with mm-hmm. real, genuine plebiscites, like like a referendum. Yeah, well, it's funny that you... you yeah, I was actually... I've just come to a sort of... a, a bit of a, realis- a personal realisation myself, and this is something that, though I'm pessimistic about the economic outcomes of Brexit, you, you have sort of hi- highlighted something as well. And to, to refer back to the point earlier of, well, they spend at least 40 hours a week, one would hope, uh, learning about these things and yeah. in that environment as their working job. The problem, the problem is when you, you you are spending forty hours a week working at somewhere, you're also spending forty hours a week being absorbed into this culture. Yeah, and I think it refers back to, I mean, the the Wired podcast uh, that you did a video on about them calling. So this, this is the the journalistic bubble. The problem is uh, where 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 if anyone hasn't seen it, the Wired co-host, the Wired podcast host. 
which is the third biggest technology site in the in the world, casually just go, oh, Peterson, far right, pseudo intellectual, dangerous individual. Yeah, Jordan, like, Jordan just, Peterson, yeah. Oh yeah, 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 and they just par- they, they they parrot these things, and I can imagine now, as you were as you were saying, so you're spending forty hours a week in Westminster, or you're in your own constituency, and, and reading reports and learning these things, but you're also spending forty hours a week in a culture where, as you rightly say, there 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 could definitely be an air of well, we're we we know more because we are these sort of select group of people, and and ultimately it's our decision. So I do I I, I can totally see now. That yeah, refreshing that and actually putting the fear of God into some of these people is an important thing because there is a massive distance. And I don't know, has there always been historically such a huge distance between the average man and the MP? Because obviously I'm I'm turning thirty in four days, so I'm still relatively young. Um, well, I mean, I'm, I'm young. I'm a young man. Yes, so, you are. Yes, you're very young. Uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. So. No, sorry. I just I've got a few mates who are all like it, like twenty three, and yeah. uh, <laughs> one of them came over the other week, and he was just like, uh, "I was like, you're right, mate. How you doing?" He's like, "Yeah, just was out partying until seven in the morning last night." And I'm yeah. like, "But it's midday now, and you look completely normal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How can you go out partying until seven in the morning and still be completely fine?" And I was like, "Oh, that's why you're twenty three. Yeah. So, you, you, so I'm already starting to feel the ravages of age come on slightly. But um, was it was it was there always this? feeling of such a disconnect or such a distrust of MPs because obviously you've got a lot more and this is obviously entirely qualitative you will only be going on your assumption of the general mood but has there always been this kind of distrust or has it come on since the 80s no, and no, 90s? No, I mean, or? I think there's al- there always has been and there always will be in every system there will be a distrust of the people that, that govern you and I think that's to a certain degree healthy. Yeah. Um I mean, I only know this necessarily from the history books because although I'm 20 years older older than you, I'm not actually um, I'm not actually that old. But the the, <laughs> the, the other big changes that the political changes that happened in my in my life, you know, in British political life, are when New Labour, that false dawn of New Labour, was um, elected in '97, and previous to that was when Margaret Thatcher was um, was elected in 1979. Now. Mm-hmm. She was a um, an advocate of what she called conviction politics, and so and that was reflected in her personality. Her personality was, "I'm right, you lot are all wrong," and that enabled her to pursue policies in the teeth of, you know, enormous opposition. Um, and in some of those things, she was proved right. In some, in some, she wasn't. But previously, have you got any, any examples of, of, well, of what she was proving right and wrong? Well, I mean, um, you know, she, her, the 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 big thing about Margaret Thatcher was that she was a, a minister in Edward Heath's government when it was brought down by the miners' strike, mm-hmm. and then they had a that, and the the um, conservative slogan at the time was "Who governs Britain." And they went into that election thinking that everyone would say, "Well, the government governs it," but the government, the, but the, the population didn't say that. They said it mm. was the unions who did it, and they lost. And they and they they put in the uh, the Labour Party, and the the miners got a thirty five percent pay rise that day, or very soon afterwards. And the following the following year, they got another thirty five percent pay rise. So you know that was the the Labour government caving into the miners, and mm-hmm. she she so she was determined when she became prime minister that wouldn't happen and she planned to go head to head with the 
with the miners and she did other things to the economy like she she put the top priority of the economy was to get inflation down and mm -hmm. I'm not an economist but as I in my dim understanding of it what happened was that that made um, in her policy made interest rates go through the roof which meant that enormous amounts of really quite serviceable British companies just went to the wall in the 80s. And mm. and she had massive opposition, for even from her own side, saying, look, you know, you're, you're just killing British industry by doing this. And she would not be diverted from the path because she thought in the end it would be worth it. But she did enormous amounts of damage along the way. So that was conviction politics. But mm. previous to that, they had what they called consensus politics and um, certain things um uh, the, the one sacred cow that remains from that consensus is the is the nhs that mm -hmm. you know i mean when the nhs came out the tories were dead against it but in in no time at all it became you know it became a sacred cow that couldn't be criticized so so the thing that the labor party was would um agree to the consensus was that, you know, we were a nuclear power and we had military responsibilities. And even though the Labour Party was a non, supposedly a non-militaristic party, um, you know, that we would maintain armed forces and we would do our bit for NATO and all the rest of it, even though some in, in the Labour Party didn't like that. And of course, it came to sort of a head. This is where the consensus began to break down, because when Margaret Thatcher came in, she you know, she she ignored all that consensus and said, right, this is what we've got to do. I'm right. And if you don't like it, you can get stuffed. And so the same thing happened to the Labour Party in a thing called uh, the, the, the 1970s and 80s version of, of Momentum, which was called Militant Tendency. Um, militant militant tendency. tendency. That's what they were called. Yeah. yeah. And okay. um, they so they were that culminated in 1983 um, general election, which might have cost the um the Labour Party the general election was their commitment to nuclear disarmament. Right. And so that was blowing up the Conservatives. So there's quite a lot of people who might have voted for Labour who didn't want to see us undefended. So that sounds very similar to what's happening now. I am terrified for voting Labour for the fact that Corbyn there won't We'll probably scrap Trident uh, 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 if he had his way, and is apprehensive about military, even uh, military force, even when it's warranted. Well, exactly. I mean, he, you know, because he spent his whole life, you know. I mean, I, I remember going on, you know, I, I went on two or three marches when I was younger, and you know, and Jeremy Corbyn was a both of them, you know, but because yeah. it was a sort of anti-establishment, anti-Nazi league, which was sort of like, you know, the sort of mild mild super mild version of antifa now um oh, yeah. uh, because they were they they came about because of the rise in of the british national party and what was called a national front before that um mm -hmm. which you know just engaged in what they call packy bashing you know which well, you yeah. can imagine what that was so yeah 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 i think uh, majid nawaz i think that was part of his main one of the biggest parts of his radicalization well, exactly, he, yeah. he says in that sam harris documentary was the fact that they just go and beat the fuck out of them, which is in, in, incredibly horrible. Which is which is so you can understand. Like what I find mad is that there was an Antifa then that was less extreme, yet the 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 the, 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 the one could argue that the the situation warranted an anti-national front. 
yeah. when there was actually a case of racial beatings happening regularly. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was different then. I mean, it was different now. It was, it, it was different because. Um, but but that, that doesn't happen anymore, does it? I never like when I was even when I was a kid growing up in the late nineties and early two thousands. It was it was frowned upon by ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the people of, of, of the children, and that just wasn't it. Just wasn't a thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's we. I mean, I hate to say this because it, it leads me down a path I don't really want to go down. But we have become more enlightened, and part of the reason for that, I have to admit. Is is partly because of government initiatives, you know, and I, I don't like to go down this road because because then you know if you take that road to its logical conclusion, you you end up where we are with mm-hmm. with um, people being you know young mothers being being arrested in front of their children for misgendering a, a, a transsexual that they were arguing with, you know, because mm-hmm. but it but it was different then and. You know the, the the Race Relations Act came in, I think, in nineteen sixty six or something, and you know that was to combat a real, genuine prejudice against black people, mm. um, and and it was needed at the time. It really, genuinely was needed. Um, so you know, I, I'm kind of in a, I'm I'm kind of in a moral quandary with it because I I don't think government should be there to moralise, but sometimes it is necessary. But yeah, but I don't like. Being in that position because it's kind of it's diluting my the principle of, of of government should just get on with the business of governing and not uh, not tell us what how we should think. Yeah, well, I think I think the the the, the counter to that is that I think government has an obligation to act as our as our logical brain in some regards, and, and I know this sounds like a weird one to say we don't have logical brains. This is not what I'm trying to say. So. The, the human brain is split into three sections. This is obviously a very, very watered down. This is a stickman version of the masterpiece that is, the, you know, the, the Sistine Chapel that is neuroscience. Yeah. But I'll, be, I'll, I'll, to I'll st- be checking with uh, Jordan Peterson and Sam Harris after this. <laughs> well, I'm sure they've got plenty to say on it. But yeah. the, the, the three sections really are the reptilian section, your brainstem, you yeah. know, and this is responsible for your standard responses, eat, fight, buck. You know, the standard mm. stuff, uh, eat, drink, you know, going to the loo, your, your baseline instincts, you know, at, at the most primal level. Yeah. The second layer is your sort of mammalian brain and, and really the, the, the inner chimp that is responsible for social hierarchy and feeling like you're in charge or not. So obviously there's the lobster side, which yeah. Peterson goes into. That's probably more the the reptilian lower base level end of the brain then the sort of middle level as as i alluded to earlier is the is what i think his name's steve peters and it's the book's called the the chimp paradox but so but the first two layers in tandem deal with how you react to specific scenarios and these are your base level impulsive reactions that you can't really do anything about the third layer is the rationale that comes in and that act that kicks in a lot later what later in what later in human evolution you mean? No, or? no, no. Well, yeah, in human evolution, but also later in the chain of events that unfold after after something. So, say you're you're out and about, yeah. and someone says something rude to your wife. Yeah. The first thing you want to do is fucking kill them. Yeah. And then you go, well, eh, 
Is that is that really worth it? Is this guy got a knife or a gun? He's actually quite bigger than me, and I'm not a very good fighter. Yeah. And I'm probably going to get arrested if I hit him with this bottle. I'm mm. sure the bottle will equalise the situation. Mm. But then, how equal will we be when I'm in a prison cell and 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 yeah. he's not? Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, but that response can only come in after your you have that sort of processing. Done. So, so the first, your first instinct, your reptilian one, is lash out at him. Then the second one is the mammalian one, which is like, well, uh, either lash out at him, depending on whether he's bigger than you or not, or figure, or get your boys in to fuck him up if he, if, if he is, you know, and, yeah. and deciding how you're going to deal with the situation. But you're still obviously livid, and you're still going to take action on that level. Uh, and then the third one is where you have to the third layer, the sort of analytic, the computer. Uh, this Steve Peters calls it. The computer section, the third level, the cerebellum, the top layer of your brain, mm. that's where you can go, you know what, maybe this isn't a good idea, all things considered, although you are angry right now and your blood is pumping and you're ready to punch this guy, mm. ultimately it's not going to make anything better at the end of the day, it's probably going to be a worse idea for everyone involved, so you're probably best just to take it on the chin, be slightly embarrassed and just move on from the situation. Now, you, we... we if you want to look at the human race and society as a sort of pseudo, uh, one way of calling it is this sort of a super organism, so to speak. Mm. And uh, hum humans have evolved to live in tribes of no more than, you know, up to a hundred or 200, you know, there weren't many people in a, yeah. in the initial human tribes, but now that we are, we, we are these sort of biological cavemen living in these, this mega globalized society of 7 billion people, three and a half of which are connected to the internet, which is fucking crazy when you think about it. Mm. That's three and a half billion, half of humanity has the power, like, which, is, which is just witchcraft to anyone back in the day. To, to say that I've got a friend in Australia that I can look at, like, we can communicate. It's like the old fiction would have witches around a, uh, a broth, you know, a big mm. cauldron, and then the vision of their other friend witch from the other side of the world would 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 be that that's that that is pure fiction and it's pure witchcraft so you know all of these things uh we don't really have the biology for that so if we're living in a super organism which is modern society the the argument for some of the higher level less instinctive less reactionary more educated and more patient thinking coming from government can kind of make sense in my mind yeah that you know, you, you, you have to put these, because the, the first thing is, yeah, you have to, okay, to, to, as I said, I think we'll go back to the example of someone, say, like insulting your wife. Your yeah. first instinct is to punch him. But then you, the main thing that probably stops you, if, if you could, if, if it's a fair fight, yeah. if you were about the same size and the same age and the same build, and you, you'll probably punch him if it's a fair fight. If he's, the, only two, the only things that are going to stop you um, are whether you'll lose or not, yeah. or whether it's just not completely, it's a completely unfair fight. Like if you're six foot four and ripped and the guy's five foot five and skinny, mm. it, you, you, if you punch him, you're probably going to look like a bit of a bit of a dickhead. So yeah. it's probably best not to punch him. But the only other thing that will stop you is the law, is yeah. the fact that, you know what, I probably shouldn't punch this guy because I'm going to get nicked and it's probably not worth it to get nicked at the end of the day. Now, we as a society have to choose, in my opinion, these restraints that we place on ourselves to stop us acting out in what is a purely reactionary, purely impulsive, and often not long-term at least, a good idea. Yeah. Now, 
and, and I think that's part of being in a society. So I think it's very important to, to consider these, these measures and steps to take to help improve society and help tame in some of our instinct. Because, I mean, instinctively, it, it's very unnatural to live in huge groups of people. And it's very unnatural to see people who aren't genetically related to you, at least very closely, i.e. different races of people. That's not natural. We haven't evolved for that. We, our evolution is to say, well, you know what... Uh, and this has been going on since the Neanderthal days, you know, and, and, and there was pre-Neanderthal, the precursor to Homo sapien. There's been hominids and primates for, you know, committing mass genocide for a very long time. And the genocide would, would be taking place against creatures who grew up maybe 10 miles away, who were very similar, but grew up 10 miles away. So it is in our blood, this tribalism. So this innate reaction to another race or something you disagree with or something you or like a, 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 another culture all of these things are actually inbuilt and their survival mechanisms that evolutionarily have served us very well for you know the hundred thousand years that homo sapiens have been around and you know however long the precursors to that were been building so instinctively we are we, we are going to react negatively to the other uh, that's mm. that's just a given and it, I think it's important to decide where you draw the line and where you have to say, okay, well, maybe there should be ramifications for acting in such a way in which to help the population, you know, behave in a more civilized manner. Now, I don't know what the actual, what, what were the, was there a constraint on free speech in the race relations act? Cause this is obviously where you get into well, difficult yes. territory. Yes, mm. there is. It was. Um, it, so um, what, what, what did it entail? Well, this is, this well, is, it's, 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 I almost condoned people that, but just by me saying that, you can see the rationale behind certain people who who want to deplatform people. I'm not. I think it's a terrible idea. Mm. I think it's a terrible idea. But you can't. You can see logically that there is a case to be made for trying to calm the more extreme of our reactionary sort of tendencies as humans. Well, uh, yeah, I can see why you would say that. Yeah, and I, I, I wouldn't. Um, I can't sort of disagree with that necessarily i mean that the to answer your question the like i say i'm not an expert on it but part of the um well just pretend you are i'm not an expert yeah, on anthropology yeah. but i pretended i was an expert there so. <laughs> <laughs> i think it was fairly convincing as well so yeah, just well i was yeah i was i was convinced yeah um pretend you're an expert mate it's fine <laughs> but the thing that came out of the racial relations act i believe was a law which was incitement to racial hatred now you know, that I hear that term. I hear that term getting used a lot, to be honest. Nowadays, yeah. still. Well, because you know, it's not. You know, as as my my lawyer friend was telling me the other day when I was arguing for freedom of speech. You know, he, he and he was saying that there's there's restrictions on speech all the time about all sorts of things. But um, you know, my argument was that there shouldn't be, um, and um, you know, because he he was saying that he was saying it as this sort of defence of hate speech laws, and. And of course, when I started thinking about hate speech laws and how ridiculous they are, I started going back and I went back to sort of thinking about where it came from. And it seems to come from the incitement to racial hatred. Now, mm -hmm. personally, I would imagine that even before you had that law, you probably could have prosecuted someone on another law like, you know, breach of the priest or, or you know, abusive behaviour or whatever it might be. Um, so it's an, it was probably another one of those cases of introduce a new law because, and I'm not, I'm not 
you know, dismissing this as a, as a as a as a moral reason for it. But it was one of those things that was they brought in a new law to to make themselves look good, not mm. not just to make themselves look good, but just to 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 kind of um, to reassure black people that they were protected under the law as well as everyone else. You know, yeah, because- just to rephrase. So they were technically rephrasing laws that, that still sort of existed, but basically tailor making them. F- so people, if you were a black person in the sixties in England, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, you'd feel a bit more sort of like the police actually had your interest at heart. And if someone was behaving in such a way, you might have been able to prosecute them on these old sort of more ambiguous laws, but they, they, they weren't specifically stated as that was their purpose. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, and I hate this phrase as well because it's been so abused again. It, it was, it was sending a message, sending a signal, you know, and the signal mm. was that black people are equal under the law, just the same as white people. And because back then, as as well, I mean, I I don't know for certain, but it seems to be established that you know there was quite a lot of uh, there was there was quite a lot of racism within the police force so mm-hmm. you know so you know so black people probably felt second class citizens so that was a, an attempt to redress that and to and to say no actually you're not uh because we're a civilized society we can't have second second class citizens everyone's yeah. got to be the same yeah i mean that that kind of philosophy is something I totally agree with, and we seem to have we seem to have jettisoned that idea, particularly when it comes to the religion of peace, um, you know, almost almost completely. Um, but but with as you know, the road to hell is paved with good intention, as as it always is. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. of course, that was the chink, as far as I'm concerned. That was that was breaking the principle of freedom of speech. It was done for the best of reasons, but. Freedom, the the freedom to speak one's mind, had been broken. The principle mm-hmm. had been broken, and because the principle had been bro- broken, you know the whole. It was only a matter of time before the whole edifice came came falling down. And so now you've got hate speech against religion, against race, against disability, against you know against all sorts of things. You know, um, yeah, well, the typical thing of a uh, a, a, lib- a a modern leftist activist will love to talk about, like, love to you know talk about finding ways to fight homophobia, fight uh, gender discrimination, fight you know abu- any anything sexist and avoid the and, and you know hate all of these things. Yet when they're done by Muslims, they 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 are oddly quiet about. Yeah, that. Well, exactly. Yeah, precisely. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, it, it does it does come to a head. It, but it, it brings me the way. You say, this is where I'm. I'm fully for the concept of freedom of speech, and obviously, when I when I talk, um, a lot of people may think that I'm uh, some sort of elitist. I'm merely asking questions, and I'm probably the way I arrive at my conclusions often is by playing devil's advocate with myself. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, if you look at the issue of interracial marriage uh, in America, mm. if there were certain states that had expressly forbidden it, it's completely socially forbidden, uh, and then in 1967, it was overturned by the Supreme Court and at a federal level, the whole federation, the whole United States had to start allowing, you know, interracial marriages. Yeah. Now, I would imagine there would be a lot of 
re- people in the South in the Bible Belt with very deeply held religious belief, which is another buzz phrase that gets overly used, I think, by Americans a lot, or, or anyone really. I mean, now it's now it's, it's Islamists in the UK say my deeply held religious belief is that, you know, this shouldn't be allowed. I mean, we only have to refer to the fucking shit show that's going on in Birmingham. Yeah. Yeah, what the Muslim mums and the gay teachers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, there's a, there's a gay teacher, and he's not saying he's not fucking showing gay porn to some preschool kids. He's just saying, <laughs> by the way, there is a thing that exists. So, so sometimes there are two men or two women that uh, 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 love each other as well, and you know what? That's fine. That I don't think he's poisoning. I don't think he's setting up a whole generation to. I don't think he's trying to entice them. I don't see. By the way, guys, be gay. It's fabulous. And the, the, the weird. They the are weird rather thing. young, though, aren't they? They they are. Yeah. They are primary school kids, though. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. well, I know, but I, I don't think it's there's any there's nothing sexual in nature about it. It's just the fact that they exist and that there is love between. Yeah. So so there and, and there is a genuine discussion to be had about that, but. I mean, I feel that I was taught about that at a young age and there was a bit of homophobia when I was a kid, but it wasn't like, you know, pure, full-on hatred. Yeah. But, but I do agree that they, they are quite young, but it, I digress. They are, you know, that, that's their religious belief, but they're also shutting down, you know, just a, a seemingly fairly innocent education based on mm. their deeply held religious beliefs, which flies in the face of other people's beliefs. But this is where I think it gets all difficult is that it's technically someone's freedom of speech. If you were a minister in a Southern Baptist church in 1967, and they'd said to you, you have to marry these people and you, I mean, especially, okay, let's not even say a minister in a Southern Baptist church. Mormonism, one of the tenets of Mormonism is that any brown-skinned people are abominations in the eyes of God. And obviously this is fucking ridiculous, but this is what Mormons believe, but then anything Mormon believes are fucking ridiculous. But either way. Good grief, I didn't know that. Yeah. yeah, so 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 that so well, yeah, there's a lot of crazy things in Mormonism. It's a, it's a hoot. I don't recommend mm. going down the rabbit hole, man. It's fucking mm. mad. No, but um, it's, so one of the one of the maddest things they believe is that dark skinned people are were a curse from God and an abomination uh, because they were well. Mormon's general principle is that, and 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 their premise is that Jesus was American. Did you were you aware of that? No. So no. so the Mormon the Church of the Church of uh, Latter-day Saints, this is an interesting thing. They believe, so anytime you, you meet a Mormon, and I don't know if you meet them very often, but you do sometimes, I believe, mm-hmm. or anytime you hear about a Mormon, know this. They thought that all of the stuff in the Bible didn't actually happen in Israel. It happened in Missouri. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know, sounds mental, but it is. And now, but, now, but, but now, these Mormons believe that all of the Old Testament and the New Testament all happened in Missouri, Jesus was, it's just a mistranslation. Jesus was American. Uh, they're all white, you know, and that the, yeah. um, all of the Native Americans or anyone else who has brown, uh, darker skin were actually cast aside um, from the chosen tr- tribe of, you know, God, you know, Jehovah's mm. chosen tribe uh, in, in the Mormon faith, you know, as in the, the white Americans who are living in America now. They were cast aside and and they were exiled and given dark skin as a punishment by God. Now that is that's that's what the Mormons believe. So I'm not saying it's obviously it's clearly wrong, but if you are when you are deeply this is a deeply held belief of yours. You're a Mormon. You're a Mormon church pastor. I don't know if they use the term pastor or whatever, yeah. but you know you are a a church leader uh, and you are in charge of marrying people. 
Yeah. And you genuinely believe, because you've been told since you were a child, that dark-skinned people are an abomination in the eyes of God, you genuinely believe it's going to be disastrous, and not just disastrous, immoral, mm. to marry a white Mormon off to someone of this thing. But now the government is forcing you to do that. Now, that's, that's an interesting issue. Yeah, well, you've got, yeah, you've got two prejudices um, bashing up against each other, haven't you? It's, yeah, but also you have the, the thing that freedom of speech is, 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 is massively important. And one could argue that the freedom to marry someone or not is, is technically an exercise of their freedom of speech because you're, you should be compelled. You shouldn't have to say something or do something that you don't yeah. believe in. So, yeah. so, 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 so to, to, to a lesser degree, the, the marrying of people is, is, is freedom. It should be a choice, it's at least freedom of religion and freedom of expression, which can be closely linked to freedom of speech. So those people who genuinely thought it was a sin and they were going to either go to hell, which is a terrifying thing. And obviously, like, I, uh, unless it's clear by now, I'm, I'm pretty atheist as they come. But it's a terrifying thing if you would have genuinely believed that you're going to go and burn in hell for marrying these two people. Mm. But then you're forced to anyway. But you can't argue that imposing these laws occasionally has made society a better, more habitable place. And this is, I think, where the issue lies, where it, there's always slippery slopes. And I think we are probably on a slip. Well, we're definitely on a slippery slope now. But I think the issue is where do you, when do you sometimes, as much as freedom of speech is a good thing, I, 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 I hate to say it, but there must be, times like this is an example where that is someone's freedom of speech really to or at least freedom of expression and freedom of religion mm. to choose whether they marry somebody or yeah. not well i suppose what they've had that do... freedom revoked and it's made things better yeah i, I suppose uh, i suppose what you could do is um well see in america the uh you know the, the first amendment is freedom of speech freedom of expression um as you know um but um, private enterprises, and you could suggest maybe Facebook and Google and Twitter and everybody else are not bound by it because they're private enterprises. Mm-hmm. Um, so you uh, is a church a private enterprise? I don't know. You know, well, it, I mean, you'd hope it was a you'd hope it was a private enterprise in a secular America with the well, separation like, of church and yeah. state being enshrined in their constitution. Yeah, exactly. But um, so. You know there there are, you know there are always um, anomalies in these things, and it is you know it's, sometimes it's difficult to unpick these because you know you've got you've got the gay cake thing, haven't you? That happened in yeah. America and in Northern Ireland. It was almost mm-hmm. like a, a mirrored case, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, and the you know the 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 gay couple wanted to have that cake made with uh, you know um, you know saying that they were marrying two men. And the the Christian bakery was made to say that they had to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it was then it was then overturned, you know. And mm-hmm. and Peter Tatchell came came, you know, uh, the sort of you know the the you know a veteran gay rights campaigner. You know, he, he even even he said we he was torn on the issue because you've got you know gay rights banging up against religious rights, and mm-hmm. which and which has you know. Uh, which has supremacy on on this, so it is. There are anomalies, but it is incumbent upon on society, I think, to do everything it can to protect a principle, mm-hmm. and then you only deviate from the principle in very very 
precise examples. Um, mm-hmm. And that's all I can say, because the world's not perfect, is all I can say. I mean, yeah. We seem to have come a long way from Brexit, don't we? But, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, uh, I think. Well, I think. I think to, to tie it back into Brexit. I think this is the fundamental sh- the divide in at least the thinking voter now, whether you be uh, a Leave voter or a Remainer. And I think the problem that MPs are having now is that sometimes doing a decision that is unpopular with people is in your according to certain data that you might ascribe to in the best interest. So it, I think a lot of politicians are going through the dilemma now where. They feel it's in the best interest to stay in the EU, uh, yeah. and, and 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 as we've sort of touched on there, the, sometimes it's good to have moral principles to stand by as and, and, and abide by them ninety nine point nine 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 percent of the time. But in certain circumstances, it's it's been proven that you know deviating from these foundational principles sometimes has produced positive results, but yeah. only in very careful small measures. And I think that's a, the problem that a lot of politicians are having. But I do agree with what you said before, that a good shake-up is, 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 is just what the doctor ordered sometimes, in that when politicians are in power for too long and the status quo is unchallenged for too long, the biggest issue is that the desire and the will to tamper with fundamental rights is very, it has to be very, 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 very carefully calculated yes. and managed yeah. to, to do that. Now, the longer there is without a fundamental shake-up or the the less fear of God that the powers that be have, then the easier it becomes to just strip away rights. And by the end of it, it becomes, as you mentioned before, the mindset of we know better than you, so you know what, take your fucking medicine because what we say is is gospel. You don't have a clue. And and I'm I'm sure there is this attitude in a lot of Westminster MPs, so I'm not not doubting it. So there is definitely going to be an air of that. Um, to it and I think yeah the uh, going back to what you said it is very important to to shake the system up every now and again and that is probably the most convincing argument for Brexit I've ever heard in my life honestly Mm. is that sometimes the the ruling powers need to be reminded that they are always to defer to the population yeah and they forget that sometimes, well, and, and it's been easy. To, it's been easy to forget that because they haven't deferred to the population on many things, and many. And 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 the problem is, as we've said, this, the Race Relations Act. It might have been an impediment on free speech, but deferring to our mammalian brain and our reptilian brain, which has evolved to kill people who don't look, think, and act like us, is there a logical reason to sometimes force society to become more enlightened by very subtly? Changing the way because because we would we wouldn't hit most if we if we done away with most of the laws on violence I think in a smaller society most people would still get along because I mean apart from the mass wars in history societies weren't actually as violent as we thought they were there was a lot of fighting that went on and there were duels amongst the arist- aristocracy and there was a lot of there was a huge massive conflicts that happened but generally in day to day speaking before it was codified in law i don't think that well if you look at hunter gatherer societies in tribe fighting is 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 rare and usually fairly civil again gypsy traveler communities in ireland are a good example of this they do their they'll have a boxing fight to settle a dispute and then it's over i think we've developed you know when when you're on a smaller scale i think the laws the, the basic 
laws don't really need to be written. But when you put the population on a huge global scale like we've got now, or even on a, a cosmopolitan scale, like, you know, if you live in a city with a, or a town with a population over 10,000, there's going to be a lot of people that, or even over 200, really, you need, you need the laws in because 200 is the tribal limit we can set out. And that's also 200 genetically virtually identical people in, in, in the space of a couple of miles. That's really what our biology is set out to do. I don't think without the Race Relations Act, society itself and culture would have developed an aversion to racism. And now I can't say that with absolute certainty. Yeah, it's very hard to guess that. And, and this is, again, it probably boils down to the whole, you know, free market versus slight economic intervention idea. Would the free market really 100% left un, uh, on its own? Would it really sort always equalise? Well, the thing about the economic thing is that, you know, the, the, the economic free marketeers will say, so long as you leave it alone completely, eventually it will level itself out and you'll have a perfect market. But of course, you know, it, it does kind of assume certain things. It, it kind of assumes unlimited resources, um, mm. you know, and it's very difficult to make the uh, capitalism take the environment into uh, into consideration. Yeah, so, I mean, a carbon tax is the only way you can do yeah, it. Yeah, so there, there are there are things. So to answer, to get back to your point about whether or not um, uh, government initiatives have their place, I, I guess they probably do. But the trouble is that I think that you you have to, I think you have to protect principles because they're very principles are very they're they're very fragile because you know events or circumstance can quite easily break them, you know and. But principles are, you know, we have to have that at the centre of our world, I think. And you only deviate from them under very specific conditions. Because if you deviate from them enough to break the principle, then you get what we've got now. You get hate speech laws, you know, which can which are drafted, just protect one group against another. And 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 that that's that's yeah. not all right. I mean you know, it, it's it's a difficult thing to do, but I do think that we've taken a wrong turning um, somewhere, and I do yeah. think that um, you know, with the, the wrong turning is, you know, particularly with. I mean, some things are just um, are just common sense, and some things are just generally frowned upon. I mean, you know, who in their right mind would choose to abuse a disabled person for their disability? I mean, what kind of arsehole would hmm. do that? You know that's that's a law yeah, that you don't yeah. need, as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. No, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, but then the employment side of it. Now, that's maybe yeah. one that well, you do. Maybe it is. Yeah, yeah. Because if I if I ran a business uh, and I was and and and, and this is pre ramps and if, before ramps and elevators yeah. were ubiquitous, and I ran a business and I'd say we had a telephone interview with a candidate, and I think, well, bloody hell, this guy's top notch brilliant he ticks all the boxes he's great at his job he looks like he's going to be good to get along with we've done a couple of uh, tests and his coding's up to scratch yep. let's get him on board then he shows up on the first day our office is on the fourth yeah. floor and we don't have no. a lift i would say well i'm sorry mate you can't work here because installing a lift here isn't going to be yeah. financially feasible for me so there is there, there are times so the employment side i would argue is something that you do need to have the law so but to so abusing someone abusing someone on the basis of their disability. I don't think you need laws on discrimination for speech. Discrimination laws need to be careful. And I think there is a place for them. As I said, there is a very valid reason why 
that dude in a wheelchair who's a shit hot coder mm. and a lovely bloke, and I didn't know he had a wheelchair, you know, I was going to be happy to hire. Suddenly, he's costing me fifty grand yeah. to install an elevator. Yeah, well, it's, yeah. I mean, and, it's, and, uh, yeah, it's it's difficult, and, uh, isn't it? I mean, it's you know, it's it's fucking murky, mate, and it's hard to tease these things apart. Well, that's why you have to adhere to the principle as closely as you can, because otherwise, it does get murky. Yeah. Because it, you know, you you have yeah. all sorts of exceptions and caveats all over the place, and then you just don't know where you are. So you do need to mm-hmm. you do need to stay as close as possible to the principles. I mean. You know, I mean, even the best people, you know, some of the most, the wisest people in the world. I mean, take the the um, uh, take the founding fathers who who drafted the constitution. Um, you know, they said all men are created equal, and then I think it was almost in the very next sentence they said, except for the except for the the Indian savage. You know, uh, yeah, I think it's just something like that. You know, it was like it was like almost in the next sentence. So. But, you know, they were so wise in so many ways and they had this just massive blind spot there. Now, I think it was probably a very convenient thing for them to tell themselves that the genocide in was, was important. But I do imagine it would be a two-way street. I can't imagine that they were 100% peaceful when they oh, arrived. No, absolutely not. No, I mean, they won't have been. So I can't imagine. So, so I'm sure. I'm sure that the pilgrims probably incited it and word probably spread quite quickly around the different tribes that there's these white men here with these bow and arrows that are made of metal mm. that will, you know, metal bow and arrows that, that shoot stones at you at a thousand miles an hour. Uh, that's what it would have seemed like to them. They have this mad, uh, this technology and they're coming to kill us. But I don't know how intricate the communication between these disparate tribes would have been. I can't imagine that, say, if you, if, if me and you and our, and our wives set up, you know, a hold fast or, sorry, a, you know, a yeah. ranch somewhere and we were constantly getting raided by, and, and we we just and oh, technically we have stolen their land, but except we're using that land to produce to be a lot more productive. And then someone starts trying to shoot, throw spears at us, and shoot bows and arrows at us. You can be forgiven for seeing why they might have had yeah, that because they, idea. They, by comparison, they would have been savages. It depends what endpoint you want to get to, because what you could say is that the settlers in America were using the land a lot more productively. And, and we're getting into very, very broad stuff here. But um, I, I read quite a bit about American Indians. And, you know, one of the things that they they kind of thought that when the white man turned up, they just came along and they just put great scars in the earth. You know, they dug up the ground, mm. you know, and, and, and instead mm. of living with nature, they they made nature into what they wanted to. They wouldn't have thought of it as so much as it is in nature. But um because I'm mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm a bit of a nomad at heart in you know, and I love travelling and I love um you know going on trips and journeys and stuff. Um I, I kind of hero worship in a way the 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 American Indian way of going about things. But see one of the things and it, it gets murkier still because the sort of golden age of the um of the American Indian was for about 200 years from between when the Spanish turned up to when the modern Americans turned up because the, 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 mm-hmm. the Spanish turned up and they turned up with horses. And so they did, they, they didn't, didn't have, have horses, horses pre- before then. Whoa. So before then 
American Indians were just these, well, by comparison, rather pathetic tribes of hunter-gatherers, you know, and they would go and they would eat berries and, you know, they would, they would you know, catch small mammals and stuff to eat and everything. But when the, when the horse turned up, they could follow the buffalo herds. And so mm. they, knew, they would just follow them. And so they were uh, astonishingly well-fed. And it's not as if they yeah. were particularly, you know, um, land or nature sensitive either, because they they would, uh, they, you know, they would um, they would get on their horse and get their horse to walk a hundred yards rather than walk themselves in the same way that people do that with their cars now. You know, they, instead of walking yeah. half a mile, they'll get in the car. Um, and mm-hmm. the other thing they would do is they, they would slaughter buffaloes and they would just eat, you know, enough for one family. And then they'd leave the, they'd leave the rotting carps out on the, on the prairie. So it's not as if. No, is that, because that's, it flies in the face of everything you're told about. Their yeah, well, they were, they were, that they used every single part of it. And did they hunt, but did they ever eat them to extinction or were they oh, no, harmonious there, there with the so buffalo herds? There was no way they could, you know, when, oh, okay. when the, um, when the white man turned up, the, the 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 Americans, the modern Americans, they reckoned there was like five hundred, four or five hundred million buffalo. Yeah, and what? they they got down to five hundred. They got down to five hundred. Wow. You know, because they, they were they were such okay. big targets, and they were so easy to kill with a rifle. And the other thing is that what they did in the 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 um the modern Americans did, is they deliberately slaughtered the buffalo so the Indians wouldn't have anything to eat. So, oh, wow. You know, I didn't so, know that. That's a, yeah, yeah. That's a dirty, well, move. You know. dirty move. You've got, you've got to take your hat off to say it's a clever yeah, move, exactly. but it's a dirty so, move. But this is the thing about, you know, so when you when you were thinking about, you know, is the modern worth, world worth slavery, you've got to think about where it is that you think is good in the end because... You know, a, a, a an eco warrior type will tell you that the the nail in the coffin of, of the world, from their point of view, if if the world's about to, you know, if we're going to kill ourselves, you know, in, it because, come to extinction because of environmental collapse, they would say it was because of the industrial revolution. But really, the nail mm-hmm. in the coffin really was discovering agriculture, because agriculture allowed mm-hmm. people to settle and build cities. Whereas the thing yeah. about the American Indians is that their tribes could only be so big and they, did, they didn't settle. Yeah. They were, you know, they, they were travellers because they travelled with, mm-hmm. with the buffalo herds and their, their tribes could only get so big, but they were all healthy and well-fed and all the rest of it. Um, so it kind of depends where you think you want to get to. So... Um, you know, a lot of people say that the, the, the Industrial Revolution was a very bad thing, and there's an argument to have for that because certainly, you know, I don't know if you decide, we seem to study ad infinitum um, in school about working conditions in the mm-hmm. in in England in the Industrial Revolution, um, and we seem to do terms and terms and terms on that about how awful it was, um, and of course it was it really was quite grim, you know, like with five year olds working twelve hours a day in factories. But um, but you know what it has brought us is it has brought us the modern world. Um, so these things are all value based. You know it's difficult to it's difficult to decide whether 
something in the something bad in the past um, was necessary to bring something good in the future. Because even the thing that you think is good in the future is not is not an absolute. It's 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 um, it's a matter of opinion. And I suppose the ultimate hypothetical, really, um, of ends justifying a means would be uh, I've increasingly began to come to the conclusion you can correct me anywhere if i'm wrong here at all or even your opinion on this but i've been increasingly coming to the conclusion that hiroshima and nagasaki were ne necessary prerequisites to what we now call the long peace and yeah yeah yep, i'd agree and, with that and, yep. and, and and i think the reason being nuclear proliferation has meant the superpowers the cold war only stayed cold because the dire ramifications i do think that had World War II ended differently, I don't think we would have learned our lesson of mass slaughter had it not been for the fact that because of nuclear proliferation, it could all be over for everyone in an instant. Yeah. If it, if it escalates too far. Now, that stops superpowers going to war, and we haven't seen any superpowers go to war since that, and I believe that is the, that is the reason. Yeah, is that mutually we assured it? destruction? They called it yeah, mad. Yeah, 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 and, and it's mad. But do you know what? It it seems to have worked. And this, I used to, in my younger, less less sort of educated days um, about these matters, or at least less willing to listen to the other side days. My early twenties, very leftist upbringing. I <clears throat> I was so for. I mean, even three years ago, I was probably up for scrapping Trident. I thought it was a waste. Of money because I didn't, I, and I just assumed, and and this is, I, I, I'm not a fan of Trump, but when he said that NATO doesn't pay their fair share, he's got a fucking point. Yeah, we yes, don't. Yeah. And, and and but 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 my view. Then, I think we what, do, but the rest yeah, of the yeah, Europeans yeah. don't, as far no. as I remember. Well, my but 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 my view then was, um, and this is pre, this was 2014, 15. I think was it 2015 when. No, Miliband weren't up for scrapping of Trident. It would have been... So even Corbyn's, the 2017, I was still kind of up for it. Wow, I've come a long way. But uh, my view then was, well, it's fine because Germans don't have nukes. The Americans will just take care of it. And I'm like, well, is it really their responsibility to take care of it? And what if we fall out of favour with them? And we're probably not... We're so culturally entwined. But still, we probably... We, we need to have nukes to stop... The, the, the reason superpowers don't go to war is because everyone's fucked if they do. Yeah. So now you, you have a lot of proxy wars and these are obviously disastrous, terrible things and there's atrocities in those areas. And, and you know, the, one could argue that the reason Syria has been dragged on for so long is that the Russians and the Chinese are doing all they can to prop up Assad because they want another foothold in the Middle East. Again, they've got they've got the Iranians and they've got the Syrians mm. and that's really and, about and all the friendly the government. there's the Ukraine as well. The reason, oh, yeah. the reason Ukraine got fucked up the arse by the Russians because they gave up their nukes. Mm. Well, did you? Oh, I, I did not know this. Okay, so that, that that's that's news to me. Mm. When did the Ukrainians give up their nukes? Well, when they became, when the the Soviet Union began began to um, crumble, the uh, mm -hmm. because the, the 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 you know Russia as it is was just the most dominant one of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics. Okay. Um, it was the biggest and, and the most powerful, but there were other big ones like U Ukraine and Georgia. Um, and Ukraine had, you know, because when Ukraine became independent, they still had a lot of nuclear capability on their soil, which was part of the USSR previously. Mm -hmm. But then they, they, they gave up their nukes 
and so that the Russians were well, able. For to... what reason? For what reason did they give them up? Well, I suppose I, I don't really know the reason. Maybe, okay. maybe probably because they they were they didn't have the resources to look after them. Maybe. Yeah, I don't know. yeah, mate, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mate, I was thinking that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and what? And, and since that, that that just gave a, a, an open ticket to. You know the the bullyish neighbour to say, oh well, fine. You, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. You're not going to beat us militarily, so we're, uh, we're we'll annex you. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, that is a very long-winded way of saying, and and and, and again with our uh, with our Brexit discussion before, <laughs> it's not really solved anything, but it's been it's been interesting. But it's a long-winded way of saying that I suppose under extreme circumstances there should be. Although it's important to live by your principles, there can be beneficial things that come out of curtailing the perhaps negative aspects of said principles when they're drawn to ridiculous conclusions. Uh, that's my that's my take home from it. And I think, you know, it's it's always going to be difficult and it's always going to be tricky, especially when you're dealing with these. And I think something which I suppose we'll talk about is in relation to free speech again, which we got onto from Brexit, is the fact that now in New Zealand, one of the most shocking headlines I've seen from the whole debacle is that just eight hours ago, the New Zealand government have now banned the possession, distribution or reading even of this terrorist's manifesto yeah. as illegal. As yeah. it, it, it's, it's illegal. Yeah. Illegal in New Zealand to possess some words written by a fucking nutter. Yeah. Yeah, well. Now, now that is that's. I mean, all of my all of my sort of pseudo defence for certain curtailments of fundamental rights in very extreme circumstances they all go out the window. There, that's where I draw the like, That's just there's no way you can defend that, surely. Well, they will defend it. You know, I mean, they're, they're, I'd be interested. I'd be interested to hear a hear a, an educated, reasoned defence of this. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems if I mean, you know, I I I haven't. For you know, for obvious reasons, not um, you know, I haven't gone into the uh, um, the ins and outs of his so-called manifesto. You know, I haven't looked at it or anything. Um, mm -hmm. But um, you know, it does seem as if they are falling straight into his trap, which is, which you know, if you were he wanted to start a civil war, didn't he? Yeah, and and of course, yeah. you know, the first thing they did, of course, was um, is that they've you know basically banned guns. I mean, apparently after the big um. The, the the big um, mass shooting in Australia, Port Arthur, I think yeah. it was. There was sixty odd people were killed, and um, and it took them twelve days to bang bang guns in Australia. Now, mm. you know that's you know you know that's that's re you know I mean I, I guess it's reasonable, um, but they've been boasting about that they managed to do the same thing in New Zealand in seventy two hours. Now mm. I'm not getting to the ins and outs of the gun debate. You know, um, that's, but, a, that's a talk for another time because yeah. this is another thing that I've changed my tune on a little bit, especially in the case of America. I used to just, you know, be like, "How the fuck can you allow guns to be legal?" But yeah. Mm, well, yeah, it's a difficult yeah. one. It's a very difficult one. But the, you, you know, to... this goes into what you were saying earlier about um, the the different parts of your brain. There's the you know the instinctive part. There's the mm -hmm. mamma the mammalian, and then there's the higher reasoning, um, and you know. A gun turns everyone into an alpha male. A yeah. gun turns you into the silverback gorilla. You could be a seven-year-old girl, but if you've got a gun, you are stronger than anyone else without yeah. a gun. Yeah, but it's uh, the the point I was making really was that mm -hmm. it was um it is that bad you know rushed law is bad law law that's made on the hoof. Mm -hmm. 
that's made quickly. Knee-jerk law is all is nearly always bad law, mm. you know. And we had it when in the London bombings, when those in the July seventh bombings, you know, Tony Blair got up in front of the House of Commons and says the the rules of the game have changed. Well, they changed because he fucking changed them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and because he he allowed terrorism to change the rules and he allowed terrorism to turn this country into a less free country than they had before. You know, and they always say, oh, terrorism will never win. Well, it fucking does win. It, it yeah. wins because what you end up doing is you end up clamping down on the freedoms that the people who've, you've just, who've just attacked you mm-hmm. don't like. You know, yeah. so, you, you, you know, it's absolutely, it's, it's ridiculous. I mean, it's like, it's child's play. But are there certain liberties and freedoms worth giving up? Like, I don't like oh, yeah, the fact that when sure. I go to the hospital, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, so I don't like being at the ho- the airport and having a, laser, a, a, a wand rubbed around my, jo- my genitalia. <laughs> you don't? And, you know, get, I don't like getting a pat down or getting a magnetic wand or walking mm. through the body scanner. Yeah. But... I'd rather that than be on a plane with a with a, with a, with a bomber or a knife man. Yeah, or well, a the thing, well, of course, the thing about air travel is that the consequences are so catastrophic. Mm-hmm. You know, having a bomb on an aeroplane, everybody's dead. You yeah. know, I mean, it's it's understandable, and and you know, I don't like invasive intrusion anywhere. Uh, invasive, um, you know security measures measures anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. But if there's one place that they probably are justified because of the consequences, the possible consequences, is an airport. But the trouble is that you end up with this this mission creep. So it's initially at the airport, then it's on the, 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 the spur road that leads to the airport, then it's mm-hmm. on the surrounding motorways, and you get, you know, everywhere else. And then before you know it, you've got uh you've got a um you know, if you've got a metal detector that you've got to walk through on the high street with two yeah. policemen next to it and saying, well, why don't you walk through it? What have you got to hide? You know, so, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, it's you know, and this is yeah. what this is what I was, you know, the, the point I made, I made that, that video about New Zealand and I was, the, the point I was making in, in that video was that, you know, that um, the first, you know, the first casualty of terrorism is the free society that it, that it's perpetrated on. You know, free societies should be able to take stuff like that on the chin. Now, I appreciate that, you know, we had 56 people killed on the July the 7th bombing and we're, we're 65 million of us. Now, the New Zealanders had 50 people and there's only 5 million of them. So the, the impact is that much greater, mm-hmm. you know. So, but they're not learning the lessons of what happens elsewhere. But I don't think the changing gun law is the most damaging thing. The distribution of like to to wholesalely ban I, like I am a sensible centrist. I would like to think if I am I try and carefully think about any political stance I take uh, and take in every single factor I can and have a reasoned evaluation of the situation. If I was a New Zealander, I would be reading that manifesto. I I would, and I don't care if it's illegal. And it's very easy to do so without getting caught. I get drugs delivered to my house by the postman because it's easy to do things on the internet without getting caught. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, post, the postman comes and sees me every now and then and delivers me some some LSD or some some cannabis or whatever I fancy. And 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 what? <laughs> like that seems like absolutely crazy. But that's and the fact is, 
if the government and the surveillance state was as powerful as it thought it would, it would be able to stop that. Yeah. But it can't. Yeah. yeah. So if I can if I can get whatever drug I want ordered to the next day to my house through the letterbox, that's fucking brilliant, Steve. You do get a real kick out of doing it. I know you don't indulge in any of these things, but I just it's it feels like such a fuck you to an to to a completely stupid um invasion of my own personal liberty. Yeah. Like I enjoy I like occasionally I want to take some psychedelic drugs or smoke some cannabis and I had a massive alcohol problem before mm. as you as you knew mm. you know and the government has said it's fine for me to have that massive alcohol problem that's destroying me and and hurting the people around me as, as i said you 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 witnessed it firsthand but once every two months to do some lsd in my own living room or smoke a bit of cannabis is is completely illegal so if i take such great pride in sticking my middle finger up when the postman comes and pops a little letterbox through uh, pops a little letter through my letterbox which contains all of these things but that's because it's how, how ridiculous it is but if that's what i think of the drug laws and there, there are dire consequences to that if uh, but i'm there are consequences that if those packages were intercepted, then I would be arrested and prosecuted yeah. for possession of these substances. Now, um, the problem is, I I don't care about them. I don't care about the consequences. If some, if, if the police officer said, "Oh, by the way, we've we've intercepted a package. It is containing LSD. Uh, you're under arrest for the attempt." I'd say, "Well, yes." I did. I wanted to, some acid, so I got some acid. Uh, fuck off. Fine, nick me if you want, but I'm pleading guilty. Do what you want. Because that's how I honestly feel about the law right now. And I wouldn't obviously really be able to mount a reasonable defence as a package with my name on. But out of principle, I'd say to him, yeah, fine, fuck off. You know, mm. that's what I did. And I don't really care that you're going to nick me for it. Now, I would be the same. I'd be in the same situation now. I would be going on to the dark web. I'd be reading that manifesto and the first thing I'm going to do after we get off this podcast, which we probably should have done, but I only found out the news just as we started recording the podcast for those mm. listening. I only found out the news that they'd banned the manifesto just as we were recording. So I've not actually had the time to read it so we can discuss it in a future episode. But I, I, I think the gist of it was, let's start a, which is, you know, which we'll get into, but I think the gist of it was, let's start a civil war. Let's polarize people, which is obviously what they're doing, but we'll get into that in a minute. But I would, the first thing I'd, do is go on the dark web and read the manifesto. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you see, because I mean, apart from anything else, I mean, you know, how de how how dare the government tell me what I can read or not? Yeah, well, that's that's what they say. Like, it's private property is a thing. If we acknowledge that private property is a thing, then my body and my brain is a thing, and I can choose what I want to put in them. Yeah, it's completely legal for someone to eat takeaway you know, constantly and smoke cigarettes uh, and then be a burden on our NHS. Whereas I don't smoke anymore. I don't drink anymore. I, I run all the time. I'm a very healthy person and that's going to be a lot cheaper for the gov for, for the NHS in the long run because I'm, I'm in, a, I'm in good physical Nick. Yeah. And yeah, it's illegal for me to occasionally choose to put some, to, to, to a substance that help that makes my mental health a lot better and makes my life a lot easier. Yeah, well, I mean, you, so you're... how dare they fucking say that? And then, you see, but even worse, I'm not allowed to read the ramblings of a madman. Yeah, but you can still buy mine camp from a from a yeah. shop. 
And, yeah. You know, I mean, the thing about this sort of thing, the thing that worries me about this is that the, the Prime Minister, J- J- Kinder, J- Jacinda? Uh, no, Jacinda, Jacinda Arden. Jacinda Arden. I mean, she's the press have been falling over themselves to say how, how wonderful she's being. And I'm not really criticising her necessarily, but... I, I kind of live by a principle of when you find yourself in the majority of opinion, it's time to stop and think because, mm-hmm. you know, you get groupthink and, you know, um, I mean, I was just looking at this. I was just, you know, browsing through what, you know, things about New Zealand um, and, you know, how many Muslims there are in New Zealand. Now, there's 1%. Yeah. Now, that doesn't sound like very many, but it's 50,000. Now, that's quite a lot of people, mm. you know, and, you know, you know, world sympathy now is, is with, you know, the Muslim population of New Zealand, you know, which is understandable and quite correct. Yeah. Um, well, they've, done no- they've done nothing wrong merely by being born a, in a certain culture. And again, I think yeah. that people don't really have agency of the religion they're born in, especially how pernicious some religions are and how controlling they can be in your mindset. Well, exactly, you know? yeah. But, uh, you know, Dawkins had the, the term the virus of faith, which is true. It part is passed on from one generation to the next. Yeah, I mean, so you can't really control if you're born of Arabic descended parents in a, in a Muslim culture. You can't really. It takes a hell of a lot to break out of that. Yeah. You know, but, you know, the thing is, you know, that, you know, the, you know, I mean, Islam is a is an it's an ideology. You know, it's a set of ideas, you know, and the, the thing about about banning uh um, banning this guy's manifesto is, you know, obviously he's probably within it. I would imagine there's lots of all sorts of criticism criticisms of Islam. Now, just because he's an arsehole and decided to do the cowardly thing and kill fifty unarmed people, you know, that doesn't mean that some of the things that he's concerned about are not valid. You know, it's yeah. it, you know, you know. I mean, well, I, this is this is the problem with the clamping down of free speech now, and it, it and it is that. What gets people too far, like, and which is, I'd say, a lot of a lot of people, journalists, and you know, political elites are too are definitely too far on the left, especially in the modern sort of centre left parties, uh, in terms of the social justice warrior type things. What fucks people up the most, I suppose, and what really rubs them up the wrong way, is when someone from the other side who you think's an arsehole makes a good point, and they don't know what to do yeah, with themselves, they so they just ban, they they ban the person. That's what they do. Mm. Because, because out of because you can't, you can't. They have this. There's an identity crisis in the left where you have to be the defender of the downtrodden. Yeah. But who who do you defend and for how long and for why? Yeah. And 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 that's. I think a lot of it just comes down boils down to they're too afraid to touch these issues because they're they're scared they're toxic toxic. But the only people that seem to be talking about them are people on the far right, but there are valid concerns to be had. And yeah. the thing is, I think what you do is you listen to those concerns and decide how we're going to incorporate, if we're going to, whether we're going to take them seriously. And if so, how so? Yeah. That's what the point of, of democracy is, surely. Yeah, well, you know, you end up with a situation, like you say, the only people actually telling the truth are the arseholes. You know, yeah, and and of course, and then that discredits the cause even it more, does. and it makes it what it, it self it's, it self perpetuates, and that's why people who like when I ever express that you know Tommy Robinson as a person might be a bit of a prick. I don't say I don't I'm not saying whether he is or not. I don't know, don't know the person. Now he probably might have got into what he did from through, and this is just me speculating, but he might have been a racist. 
right at one point in his life. If he's not now, he might have been. And that might be a reason why he went into EDL. He mm. might not have been. Mm. You know, but you can't say any of these things. I can't say whether he is. I can't say whether he is. And I can't say whether he was. I can't say whether he wasn't. What I can say is that his brand is so toxic that to most people, for me to say, well, actually, you know, what some of the things he, he he's saying aren't wrong and they're not lies and there's a lot of truth to what he's saying. You can't just ignore everything he's saying, no matter how much of an arsehole you think he is and no matter how much, and no matter what he's reasoning behind any of these opinions are how we arrived at these opinions they are there's a lot of things and facts in there that you have to take into consideration hitler was a vegetarian who loved his dogs yeah, i'm yeah. a ve- i'm a vegetarian and i love my cat and i love dogs yeah. it doesn't mean that i'm a fucking nazi no no exactly and he was a teetotaler as well but you get the situation don't you where you're saying well well you know you use toothpaste guess who used it who else used toothpaste adolf hitler you know, therefore you're like Adolf Hitler, you know. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, Tommy in particular is someone who gets an awful lot of flack for, for stuff. And like you say, his brand is toxic to quite a lot, quite a lot of people. But as even if you believe he's the arsehole that everybody, that, or the media says that he is, even if you believe that, you know, he hasn't gone and killed 50 people like this other no. tosser has. You know, he, he, he criticises and he, he rubs people up the wrong way and he talks about things that... Lots of people would prefer he didn't talk about, but you know he's only talking, and you know yeah. and and he should be allowed to say the things that he says, you know, um, and uh, the, the, you know particularly the the recent banning of him from Facebook. I mean, it doesn't seem as if there was any, it doesn't seem as if there was any evidence whatsoever as to why they banned him. They just decided. Well, they, they yeah, they said he was inciting uh, his things incited violence, and uh, and the, the scary thing is that when things like this happen. It does in so it, when 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 these mass shootings happen, especially. And I hate to say this, but I know for a fact, and that there's going to be people on the left thinking, "Wow, we uh, we have an opportunity here to push forward these hate speech law, hate speech laws that we want, yeah, and sense sense of what we want and deplatform." And this is the reason why you allow right wing radicals a platform to talk, and a small percentage of those people are going to be. Extreme, uh, you know, and 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 they're borrowing terminology from that people use to describe Islamic terrorism, and they're saying they're going to turn into extremists, and then they're going to become terrorists. So you can't allow this uh, stuff. Well, ban the fucking Quran then. Yeah. Well then, if you yeah. want to, if you want to ban people like Tommy Robinson from from having a valid opinion, uh, which which or at least arguing for an opinion, whether it's valid or not, some things he says I probably will disagree with. Yeah. So you know, but at least, at least I'm I, I'm willing to hear anyone out. But if you can, they not see the hypocrisy in saying we we not we must censor these things because these things lead to violence and terrorism. When actually, if you look at the statistics, there's a book, a quite an old one from the Middle East mm. that is leading to more of that now. And, and, and oh well, you know, it's not indicative. Of all of all Muslims, no, it's not indicative of all Muslims, and oh, only a tiny percentage of them get radicalized. Oh, and only a tiny percent of them get radicalized. Well, only a tiny percentage of people who read any right wing media are going to go and kill someone. Yeah, yeah I, but you don't ban. You, you have it was much right to ban the Quran as you have to ban the right wing media. I would rather. I mean, if you're going to go, they'd be consistent. At least be consistent. Well, at least it. be like, consistent. If, yeah. 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 If, you say, well, if you say this stuff is toxic, 
and it leads to the murder of innocent people. Some of the passages from the Quran about killing the Gufar, and the Gufar is anyone who isn't a Muslim, mm. or 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 a you know anyone who renounces their faith, an apostate, it's it's death. You know, mm. so so that that stuff is toxic as well. But you allow that. So, so why would you allow that? It, the the same logical conclusion that you're drawing to ban one person's speech isn't banning another. And I think the main factor in that is how long it's been around for. Yeah, yeah. I, I th- it's yeah. easier to yeah. ban without tra- tradition. Makes things become gives things an air of gravity that they didn't ha- they don't usually have. Well, that's they true. Have yeah, yeah that's true. Before. And and this is one of the reasons why. You know any sort of any sort of settled thinking about anything, whether it's Islamic principles such as they are, or if even if it's um, um, even if it's uh, you know religion itself, even if it's Ten Commandments, even if it's you know the um, the, the group think in, in Parliament, you know for Brexit, all of these things need to be challenged. And the longer they go on, the the more the more necessary it is to challenge them. Because, because things take on their own, they take on their own momentum, and they become, mm-hmm. you know, they they become so-called self-evident, you know, that they they are beyond, that they are beyond scrutiny now. Oh, everybody knows that the European Union is a good thing. Everybody knows that, you know. That's why all the, that's why all, all the Leave voters are all morons because, you know, anybody who's at all intelligent. Will voted for, would have voted for a Remain. You know those things need to be challenged. You know, yeah. and the, you need right. to have. You know, people need to come up with with reasons. You know, um, and, it, it, and to bring it back before, yeah, the 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 racism uh, debacle or the racism row, so to speak. Those laws, everybody knows that racism is is stupid. Which which mm. which is the 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 con the, the idea mm. but the problem is it it becomes so self-evident now that criticizing anyone else uh, a different culture can be called racist and then everybody mm. knows racism is a bad thing so you can't criticize another culture even though they're patently doing something that's disgusting and morally apprehensive uh, you know reprehensible indeed yeah indeed it's, uh, so, so 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 you're totally true there and i think because and i think i've even answered one of my earlier points there when i said uh well surely the ends justify the means in certain situations like maybe that we wouldn't have such a racially harmonious country and although people say that the racism is still a thing and it might be to a to a small extent compare that to how it was you've got to be you've got yeah. to applaud the progress yeah, you exactly. have to applaud I mean, the compare progress it to how it was and compare it to else and com- and compare it to elsewhere yeah, yeah, other parts of the world, and even compare it to one of the craziest things is that uh, racial minorities are more racist than the white people. Well, yes, <laughs> against each other. Like yeah. I was, I was, I was at a garage in um, in oh, I was working. I was doing a sales job for a long time ago. What's it called? Um, rough part of South London. Well, let's just insert one anyway. It doesn't really need to matter. Black people would calling the Asian people the P-word and the Asian people were calling the black people the N-word yeah. in this sort of yeah. gang gang attack that I got caught up in the middle of. Don't worry, nothing happened to me. As we say, I'm still here talking. But I was just there at the petrol station working and then there was these two groups of different things and they were being racist at each other. So it seems like the racism is actually more pervasive in the minority cultures themselves, Well, yeah, oddly yeah. enough. So, so if you ever want an example of, you know, the ends justifying the means, then... That is that could that could potentially be it. How much better we have it, which could argue we could arguably say have been 
that has achieved that has been achieved by clamping down all the race relations act in the 60s so that is potentially it but then obviously as soon as anything goes on for too long you're totally right with the group thing i was just trying to tie it into how it was before it goes on for too long and it becomes ridiculous yeah we we you know we things need to be uh think you know there should be no sacred cows in anything, really. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the only way that you can challenge sacred cows properly is by having freedom. Is by having freedom of speech. Because if you haven't got freedom of speech, then if you have things you can't say, there'll be people engineering thing those things to make sure that you can't challenge them. Mm-hmm. So you know, freedom of speech is the most valuable thing that we have in in human society you know because if you if you start fucking around with that you know you, the whole ed- edifice could come crashing down and we've yeah. really got to get back to some first principles with this kind of stuff yeah well this is the, you know this is um the the principle in the of the new speak dictionary in 1984 is that you remove words every year the dictionary gets smaller so every so every year you have less ability to express yourself and so your only your only resort to disagreement is is just to shout and to and to act violently because you don't have the words to express yourself because they've all been taken out of the dictionary yeah and i mean it's it's sounding like it's uh it's it's getting closer yeah yeah well i i yeah i mean we all we can do is do our best and keep it. Yeah. Try try and keep people hold. You know, hold, the only thing we can do is keep freedom of speech as of as a first principle, and because it, yeah. it's the most important one we've got. And if we haven't got that, we almost haven't got anything. So yeah, here, here. Yeah.